Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I'm Lee Carlo, joined by Chapin Hemingway and Jeremy Fisk, baby. This, gentlemen, is an extraordinary podcast. It's actually an extraordinary week. We've had very few of these in 2020, but we got a release date for David Fincher's Mank. We got a teaser trailer. And on the topic of teasers, Aaron Sorkin, who's the director of what is likely to be our film next week, The Trial of the Chicago 7, has said that he is ready to write a sequel to The Social Network as long as said David Fincher agrees to direct it. So, with all of that in mind and our anticipation of Mank, I mean, I we said have this. decided... I said this on the podcast. I said we should do this. So the, he must be listening, Aaron Sorkin. Oh, the sequel? Yeah, I talked about this. He must be, and then he just and then he followed it up saying, "As long as Fincher directs, get your film fixed, I'll do it." Right, right. Would have been nice so if he would have anticip- have the exclusive. Oh, fuck! Just you know, Jeremy, what do you have any? What should we do about this? Well, no, it's very appropriate. It's over, over overlapping dialogue. Sorkin would like it. We should just be walking down a hallway right now as you guys try to discuss this. That's a good point. Well. What I was trying to say is that anticipation... I think he would really oh. like it because if you were oh. walking down the, the so hallway fun. while this were to happen, I, got, so I think I, Sorkin I, would just be like... I got a plate full of cupcakes here, and Jeremy and Chapin are on like an 11-day fast, and they're starving, and I'm just going to eat these in front of them the whole podcast. So, in anticipation of Mank, which is directed by David Fincher, about Herman Mankiewicz, the writer of Citizen Kane, we have decided to revisit what is widely considered to be one of, if not the greatest American movie ever made, Orson Welles' 1941 classic, Citizen Kane. Makes sense. The, the, the America's greatest film podcast talking about America's greatest film. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Orson Welles. I'm speaking for the Mercury Theater, and what follows is supposed to advertise our first motion picture. Citizen Kane is the title, and we hope it can correctly be called a coming attraction. It's certainly coming, coming to this theater, and I think our Mercury actors make it an attraction. I'd like you to meet them. Speaking of attractions, well, the chorus girls are certainly an attraction, but frankly, ladies and gentlemen, we're just showing you the chorus girls for purposes of ballyhoo. It's a pretty nice ballyhoo. But here are some of our real Mercury people. This is the first time you've seen most of them on the screen. Hey, uh, give Joe a little light. Thanks. Now smile for the folks, Joe. Smile. Joseph Cotton, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. Joseph Cotton. I think you're going to see a lot of him. Here's Ruth Warwick, whom I know you love. Ruth. All right, guys. I don't know if you got them. um, Considering the importance of this particular movie, and by extension this episode, I've been getting a lot of sponsorship offers for this particular episode. I've been getting a lot of... um, I've been getting a lot of products sent to me to test out. Uh, but I just want to be completely honest to anybody, any prospective sponsors. We are really only interested in the sponsors for their money, the cash that yeah. they're going to give us. Those cupcakes, um, were, the, were those were a sponsor, I believe. That was, yes, and it was a weird offer from Hostess. But um, basically, if we're going to give you this airtime, we want to be paid. And guys, by and large, paid big. There's a lot of competition out there in the retail world, both brick and mortar and e-commerce, and by and large has widely developed their business model over the years to the point where they seem almost futuristic. Uh, Shopping with by and large isn't just shopping. It's immersive. It's all-inclusive. Really, it's a lifestyle. 
Um, Nothing has made being quarantined any easier than sitting back in my by and large recliner with literally anything and everything I need. Movies, TV shows, shopping, takeout, you name it. It's right there awaiting my voice activated requests. Also, guys, you know today is Prime Day from Amazon. I read that Jeff Bezos makes more than uh, $2,000 a second, and he Mm -hmm. has not made a single offer to sponsor us. But by and large, by and large, this episode featuring one of the greatest films of all time is brought to you by by and large. Yeah, fuck Amazon. Right? That's the whole point of what I just said. Okay, guys. So, Citizen Kane. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start things out pretty easily for you guys before I get into the nitty gritty on this movie. I because I'm mostly curious. I'm sure our audience is curious. Uh, this movie was released in 1941, so it has been 79 years since uh, we saw this when it opened, and I'm just <laughs> I'm just curious. Is that right? Did I do that math right? Yeah, I did. Um, I'm just curious. What you guys' thoughts are on Citizen Kane prior to the revisit? Well, um, yes, it is one of those films that I, I was trying to do the math in my head. Like, as someone who has loved and studied film, like, how many times have I like been forced to watch this over the time? Like, I'm sure I had to watch it in high school. Definitely watched it at Emerson, right? Of course, at some in some class, and I'm sure I saw it before and after those time periods. But yes, I mean, it's it's this film that is widely considered the greatest film. And I mean, I think that comes with a whole lot of baggage that we should discuss. But I talked to you guys ahead of time and said that I'd love to do this, obviously, in anticipation of Mank, which is about the writer of this film, um, David Fincher's upcoming film. But also talk about it from a perspective that I think like other people who are not cinephiles scholars geniuses nerds like us would appreciate and i don't think that's saying things like you know it's influential on movies because of x or it's groundbreaking because of y i think what's nice is to point out some of that stuff i think Maybe people are interested in that, but also just why it's such a great movie and and maybe focus more on, say, the structure or the screenplay or things that people are able to sort of acknowledge a little bit easier. And for me, um, you know, I always took this film as, you know, visually very groundbreaking. <laughs> I'm sort of breaking my own rules here, but um you know, visually very groundbreaking. Well, um, but yeah, um, but I do want to know. I do want to know what your thought was prior to this revision. Yeah, just so 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 that's that's a- visually groundbreaking kind of. You know, uh, uh, I I always sort of think of it in tandem with uh, Casablanca, which came out like mm-hmm. eighteen months later or two years later, um, and I always thought of Casablanca as kind of the poppier, more enjoyable film. You know, perhaps less innovative and less. Um, groundbreaking, but sort of the more romantic, the more sort of, uh, you know, broadly appealing film of the two. Um, yeah, so that's where I came into this first, this real watch. Jeremy? Yeah, so... I, all right. As far as my own expectations of what this film was or how I remembered it... Um, I was a little hesitant to go into this revisit because 
I never sort of touted this movie as great. I understood what people appreciated of it, but I kind of look at it and I think we can break this down into sort of two categories. We could break it down into the category of what made it so innovative and groundbreaking at the time. And then category two is what are we getting from it now, current day watching it? Mm. And I think those are two different and separate conversations. And to go to Chapin's point, I think the first conversation might be a little more um, nerdish, a a little bit more for people who are really studying film and, and interested in what this movie is doing, you know, 70 years ago that no other film did. And you can appreciate it for that aspect of it. But what's interesting to me and what I'm curious to hear uh, what you guys think is where what what this movie offered you this time around in our current climate in in 2020 watching it, um, if anything. Yeah, my my thoughts going into this were, I think, along the same lines as as Jeremy's. I mean, it's. It's one I've always sort of had a hard time with, just broadly speaking. And now, am I going to come onto this podcast and say that I've I've always considered Citizen Kane to be overrated? Uh, no, I, I'm not going to say that, at least not yet. But um, I just found, I, I have always found this movie to be lacking a hook for me. Now, I think it's interesting, Jeremy, you brought up the point of just how, how this story plays today in the current climate. I think that's something we absolutely should talk about because I think maybe somewhere in there, there is a hook for some people. But as a film nerd slash film scholar, I, let's go with scholar. That I think that's more Sure, accurate. you went to college. Yeah. As a film scholar... Didn't get any scholarships. There is, there is so much about this movie to to study, to take away, to talk about... But I, I like Chapin's idea that he sent to us about, you know, talking to a broader audience about this movie. So I think we should do that. Um, so now that our, our old thoughts are off the table, speaking almost equally as broadly, I'm just curious about your initial reaction to this movie this time around. And then we'll get into the specifics. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I forgot how ingenious the structure of this film is um using rosebud is obviously a famous structural technique but i thought a lot about jeremy and his love of structure and i think this movie does that so well it's a little bit non-linear but it 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 does take you sort of from beginning to end and using the mechanism of the journalist to explore this i think is really smart and it made me um I don't know, really appreciate that from a perspective that I didn't before. Like I said, I always kind of thought of it it, visually and the editing techniques, the sort of the things you think of with film, but this, but just a a very well structured screenplay that, that, that was, I think innovative at the time. I mean, it feels, it feels modern the way it's told. Right. Right. Okay. So it feels modern, but is that you saying it feels modern because you're looking at this from a, a movie being 70 or 70 years old? Like, the structure of this movie at the time was groundbreaking and different and really smart to do. And, and using right. the journalist to go back in time and sort of piece together Kane's life, that it, it 
it hadn't really been done up to that point. But watching it from sort of with modern eyes, that part is sort of irrelevant, really, because we've seen it done a bazillion times since then. So knowing that, like, what was it that really sort of hooked you on onto it this time? Well, I love movies about rich people, like people with a lot of power (laughs) who have way too much money. And I mean, it's, it's sort of your like typical American fall from grace, right? Like these people who sort of live the American dream though. I, 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 one thing that was surprising to me is how Kane actually won his fortune, which to me, I didn't quite remember the details of that, which were sort of strange. Maybe we can talk about that, but, um, and I love sounded familiar. I love that. And right. I, I love how it informs a movie, like say there will be blood, you know, like these, these are common story arcs. These, these p- powerful, usually men who have, are very ambitious and who kind of, uh, you know, leave a lot of metaphorical bodies in their wake. And, you know, they build these monuments to themselves that eventually become empty. And I think Citizen Kane is like one of the, at least in my mind, like kind of the definitive film from that perspective and the definitive piece of work. Like, I mean, I I can't think of a book about someone, you know, off the top of my head like that, this, this film, you know, the sort of Xanadu piece of this where, you know, where you, you know, that's another structural pillar here where you've got this location, this thing that he built this, you know, monument to himself. And I, I just, I love stories like that. Like, I think that's kind of what interests me so much about there will be blood. It's like, think, you know, we, we have this, idea of the American dream, making all this money, you know, there's all this, um, you know, worship in our culture for, for rich people. Obviously that's how we got in this political climate with Donald Trump. Um, but this film and, and, and a long history of, of, of literature and, and works of art have, you know, exposed the, the real, the reality behind that money and that it's not all kind of, you know, fun and it's not all meaningful and it's um and i think kane epitomizes that for me yeah i i the american dream aspect of this is really my my biggest note on this is that yes this is quintessential american but i do wonder if movies are elevated because of them having that sort of quintessential American aspect to them. And I would even put There Will Be Blood into that category as well. As much as I love that movie, I think there might be a weird American arrogance to be able to want to put these movies as the greatest films of all time because of their American-ism of of them. Does that make any sense? Sure, of course, yeah. I I think the fact that... Well, this movie is is classified a lot of times as the greatest American movie. It's, 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 it's steadfast at number one on AFI's top 100. And anytime people talk about it as one of the greatest films of all time, it, it does seem like it's always has that additional adjective that it's the greatest American movie of all time. And part of that is the subject matter and the relevance that is clearly timeless. Um, and, 
I don't know. That's either going to work for you or it's not, I think. I'm not sure there's a middle ground on that aspect of this movie. I I just think it bothers me a little bit that movies get extra credit for their American condition. Like, Sure. That that part of it that we're so fascinated with, I, I don't think it should take away anything from it, but I also don't know if that aspect of just trying to achieve this sort of wealth and power and influence is all that super interesting. It's interesting, but is it like extra interesting? Well, I don't know that it's interesting in a movie like Citizen Kane. And as we get more into this, I said, you know, I wasn't going to come out on this podcast and say Citizen Kane is overrated. But I I lean in that direction at times because a movie like There Will Be Blood, (laughs) while it is very clear what that movie is about, capitalism, uh, you know, a rise to power, there are it, it is metaphorical in many ways, whereas this movie it essentially just tells you the story of, you know, a Donald Trump, a Charles Foster Kane, a um, oh, Jesus, um, a smart real Charles Foster Kane, a smarter Donald um, Trump, <laughs> William Randolph Hearst, William Randolph Hearst. Thank you. Um, it's it's basically just outlines their their rise, their life. In no metaphorical way at all. I mean, this is uh, this is a character that inherited a sum of money, uh, built an empire with it, parlayed that into a political career, was cloaked in scandal. Like this is obviously something we're very familiar with, and that's what I'm talking about. About this, that can be that's can be a love it or hate it thing about this movie. You can either attach yourself to that that anchor and roll with it, whether it's an American uh, an American story or or not. That part doesn't matter. Or you're, or you're just not going to be as intrigued by that because it is spelled out so clearly. Now, Chapin, everything you said about the structure of this movie, I agree with. I think the structure is is really, really great, and the telling of the story is great. Like all of the things work nearly perfectly in this movie, but still, like I said, the going into this revisit, I feel like it lacks a hook for me. There's mm. there's something missing about the story that that I just am not captured by why are we looking at that um okay yeah i mean i to i totally disagree with you but i i want to know i want to know more Uh, jeremy do you feel the same way i feel like weirdly one of my first notes is that it's not as dramatic as 2020 and I don't think that's fair to Citizen Kane, but I'm just saying I, I I guess I sort of agree with Lee in that I think there could be more to this story. There's something it, else I think there. it lacks a little drama. I think that's a pretty simple way to say it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but like why? Like what, um, like what aspects of it? OK, so there's a scene in the pretty much I would say maybe two thirds of the way through this movie where Charles Foster Kane is running for governor of New York uh, and He's basically confronted by his opponent, his wife, and his lover. Right. Uh, and this scene plays out basically saying that Kane is either going to uh, pay this money, withdraw from the race, or it's going to be printed in every newspaper except his own that he's carrying on an extramarital affair. And he says, you know, do whatever you want. I'm the one that decides what happens with me. And they print it, and his political career is ruined, and so on and so forth. Imagine if that ruined it- a political career. Oh, I know. If it was only that simple. Well, that scene is is very dramatic. It's it's I think the most 
captivating scene of the movie. It's the one that kind of has the all of the pieces of what we've learned about this character coming together at, uh, to a point. Um, I think it's probably the 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 pinnacle of the movie, or at least of the story. And the rest of the movie isn't like that. The rest of the movie is told a little montagey. I mean, he's 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 talking to. Uh, the the reporter that's trying to uncover the the, the mystery of of Rosebud uh, is talking to all of Charles Foster's old friends and colleagues, and they're sort of going through these scenes in a very montagey like way to just kind of quickly roll through how he changes and and some of that works and some of it doesn't, but it doesn't ever give you a lot of drama, and I felt like that was missing for a lot of this movie and it's too blunt and too harsh to say it's boring, but it's not too blunt to say that it lacks a hook. I, I kind of agree. I, I mean, unfortunately, like I, it's hard to admit this. I, mean, I know. We, is <laughs> this this is, a, are we retiring from the podcast? Cause you guys are shitting on citizen Kane. We're not shitting on it though. I, I just think that I, I think Kane is a fascinating character, but I think, I think there's elements to that character that, that fascination to that character that I would have liked to see that weren't on screen, that are alluded to, that are alluded to in interviews, that are alluded to with his ex-wives, that are alluded to by his fortune. But you, I would, I would love to see more private moments with Kane. I want to, I want to see a little bit of what causes, a little bit more of what causes the rosebud to come out of his lips mm-hmm. and like you get the idea of it and you get the concept there's only of really it. one scene that gives you that idea too and it's a very but, brief scene but once it's revealed to you it's more of a it's more of a aha than a oh i i understand it or i get him sort of thing which i i wanted to see a little bit more of the human element of kane rather than hear about it or or um, sort of have it spoken about after the fact. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a very bold statement about about Rosebud later in the podcast. I'm not gonna do it yet. I'm gonna tease it. Um, but I forget what I was gonna say after that. Oh, wow, that is Chapin. quite a tease, ladies and gentlemen. He doesn't even remember what he's gonna say. No, I know. No, I f- I forget what I was gonna say about what you were saying, Jeremy. But go ahead, Chapin. No, I mean I. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Okay. All right. We should have an argument, but I, I don't. This movie is this movie is done well. I like I like what Jeremy is talking. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. I like what you're talking about, Jeremy, about how you wish you, we could have seen some of those private moments from Kane. But the structure of this movie follows its own rules and is structured well. And those rules are that we learn about Kane through conversations that this reporter has with his his people that he knew. As a result. We don't ever get to see the private moments because there was no one there to witness them. As a further result, we as audience members lose out on that opportunity well, to learn it, a little bit more about Kate. It's so they up, structured the way they structured yeah. the movie. The, they were it's, unable to do that. Yeah, unfortunately, it's set up as him being the myth. Like, what is the myth of Kane? Like, what is the legend of Kane? That's how it's sort of shown to the audience. So. Like you say, it'd be, it it wouldn't be quite what this movie is to have those private moments. But then, unfortunately, the the pay not the payoff, but just the 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 want and the need to know more can't be satisfied. 
All right, Dave, we can't have an argument unless you speak up, because me and Jeremy seem to agree. But before before you go, I there's nothing wrong with the way that this movie is made. And I'm not just talking technically. You know, the structure of the story, it's it's all done right. I just, I think it's going to keep coming back, at least for me and I think for Jeremy, on just elements of the, that story that are missing, that are intriguing to us. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I guess you're just not intrigued by what's on screen. I mean, I think, um, I think there's plenty of drama in here. And I, I think what's remarkable about this film that you don't see in a, in a movie like Casablanca, which is, I'm, I would imagine you guys like a little bit better and maybe I do too. A little too. bit. It's not even close. Not even close. That was something I was going to bring up later. The moments <laughs> of drama in this film are deep, quiet moments with Kane. And I think they're all seen in his face. And I think that's that was unusual for that time. And now, look, I realize that that doesn't help us really, you know, thinking about this film from a modern perspective, like that doesn't help us. But... You know, well, it's a very, it is a very modern performance from Wells. There, That's a big takeaway. You the, have these, that, like, think about the, you've got the, the, the sort of very 40 sounding music hitting Rick and he go, you know, when something, he finds some bad news out about Ilsa and it's done, you see the look in his face, but like so much of this performance and the drama of this film comes from Wells. And, you know, you see it when he's, these and these very odd moments that that give the audience a chance to like think about things for themselves in a way that I don't that I think was unique for this time period. Like for example, that that sequence when he rewrites or or finishes mm-hmm. Leland's are a review of of what's her name's performance, um, the opera of Su- Susan Alexander, Susan Alexander, his, sec- his second wife, right? And you know, I think that's a really good scene from a writing perspective, like. He he's like being truthful to his friend, but he's also firing him because he knows he has to. And then you have the drama later that's more traditional of Susan attacking him and yelling and screaming at him. And he's like, I think a, a few scenes later, he's like tired and worn out and you just see all this stuff on his face. And I think what, and, and, and I'd like to get at the fact that there's no hook for you. I think that's different than there being no drama. I think there's plenty of drama. It's just subtle in a way that was unusual for this time period. Okay. And I think that that's fair. And I, and, and I do think that it's sort of impossible for me and Jeremy's naysaying for lack of a better word is going to come off harsher than I actually feel, because this is not a movie that I dislike. And I don't think it is as black and white as drama, no drama. I think everything you're saying, Chapin is right. I think there are scenes with Wells portraying a lot quietly. I think his performance is, as as groundbreaking as this movie. I think he's uh, years beyond where every other actor in this movie, but a lot of actors in that time period were with his performance in this movie. So you do get a lot there. I just think that what, what I'm missing is it's, it's, this is ironic, but I, I feel like I'm sort of missing the, the, the one thing that I hate about biopics that there's there's not okay. enough here like this this movie spans a large portion of his life nearly his whole life if you if you count the the flashback to when he's a kid so it spans nearly as in his entire life i guess i guess it's not 
I guess it's not what I hate. Uh, it's not missing what I hate about biopics. It, it almost sort of is what I hate about biopics. It's taking little individual pieces over the course of entire life right. and not, n- not narrowing in on any one thing quite enough for us to really understand him. So, yeah, I guess it's, I'm realizing now it's, it's exactly the same problem I have with biopics in many ways that, you know, scenes like, uh, that you're, that you're talking about when he, when he finishes the review of his wife's play and then that's it. We see a little bit more at the opera, but we don't get any more of that specific side of his character. Well, you, you, the scene when you see him, I think the scene I was thinking of that I was getting to with all the drama is when he, in the couple exchanges he has with her, where he's trying to get her to continue her singing career because he just can't admit defeat. I guess, yeah. And I, I, look, I, I think it's there. I just think what I said. I think you just get little snippets of different portions of his life, which reveal little aspects of his character, and that works to a certain extent. But when you have a character as interesting as Kane, you probably want more. I do think this is interesting because it's all you guys are always telling me how I'm like the the one guy who seems to the, out of the three of us who likes director so much, and this is like. If you compare this with Casablanca, this is a director's movie. Like it's mm-hmm. totally, yeah. But Agreed. that's a whole other conversation that we. Can, I think we should give ourselves a chance to geek out on this movie a little bit once we, you know, talk to the talk to the normies about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I. All right. But so back on that topic to the for the normies. <laughs> do do they like being called that? I have that we haven't gotten an email saying so. one way or the other. So I'm gonna keep calling them that until they tell us to stop. Um, if you want to, if you want to draw the comparison to Donald Trump, if you want to just kind of look at this as a purely American rise to power there, that's an entry point for a modern audience, for any audience to this movie. And there is a story here that is, that is relevant, timeless, relatable for people to enjoy, you know, how you break down the way that story's told, whether or not you get enough out of it, that's another question. But in terms of this movie for a modern audience, a 79-year-old movie, I think there is a lot here for people to still enjoy. It's just going to depend on how you how you respond, how you are how you attach yourself to what you're learning about Kane. And I think this are the way we're all seeing it is is kind of a good example of how that can be different for everybody. Yeah, I I I would agree with that. I mean, it's it's fun to in a weird way to watch it with 2020 glasses because you can put another sort of layer onto it that watching it in college i'm sure none of that was there um you know but i would love i would i would have loved to have those moments with kane with his with his both his wives it's just like so much is trying to be shown in this movie that the broad strokes are interesting but they're just sort of it's hard to it's hard to put all those broad strokes together and and make a a full painting that feels so rich in the story that you you go away from it really appreciating uh, that aspect of it um that all being said like i would like to start geeking out a little bit about this movie now that you've talked about it as a director's movie as uh you know 
Orson Welles' performance in this movie. I want to talk about the camera angles in this movie. I want to talk about the makeup in this movie. I want to talk about mm-hmm. all that the stuff lighting. that I think is just fantastic and amazing in this film. But and let's do it. Let me drop my. I want to drop my bombshell since it's story related. I think the rosebud reveal is one of the dumbest reveals in movie history. Who gives a shit about his fucking sled? That that was it's not more than about enough. his sled. It's about going because back to his innocence yes, and the uh, loss of innocence of youth. And there's one line of dialogue in this really short scene where he says, "I was going to a storage unit to get all of this stuff that my mom left when right, she died." Right. There is this 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 theme is absent from the movie. So the rosebud sled doesn't work. I'm sorry. Wait, why? It why do you say that? But it works, Lee. It's the same problem we've had with the movie. I think it works in the stroke that it it's shown to us. Okay, but there's not fine. more but depth. This there. is one of the most iconic reveals in movie history. But yeah, what it doesn't, doesn't belong what there. What doesn't work for you? What should, wait, it's but it's a the, good the, example, I think, of what Lee and I are saying because it 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 tells the story it wants to tell. It tries. It 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 says to the audience. It goes, hey. This guy is missing the simpler times of his life, the simpler times of his youth when he didn't have any money. That was important. That's what it's saying to us, and that's what comes across. But it doesn't have, like we saying, doesn't it doesn't have the it doesn't have the enough. depth uh, behind it that the like there was no other point. There was no other part of the movie that sort of emphasized that. Give so, me give me a scene that that emphasizes it, other than that one short well, line that's of dialogue I think, that I mentioned. I, the beginning. The issue we have with the whole movie is that. So what if the beginning is there? That that. that but I mean, just because he flashes back and he plays with his sled, he's, he's pl- on his sled. He's playing with the sled at the beginning. He hits the, his like benefactor guy with it and runs away, and he's he's having a good time. And then that's when his life totally changed, and he left that okay. the sled to be you know covered in snow. I, I mean, there's a metaphor there. I mean, I'm I'm the first person to it. say the that I don't like the, the metaphor, but. I get it. It's it's the loss of the innocence of youth. It, I, I get Jerry, it. I know watching? what it's. <laughs> I, what are you watching? Oh, just a, there's nothing actually. Just commercial. Uh, is there some I, sports game on this evening? Look, wait, I feel like wait. I'm making a feel like I'm making a really important yeah, but I think point but in you're podcast wrong. history you're, you're, here. But you're wrong. I'm but sorry. you can't defend it. There's, I'm trying you to can't look, say. Listen, listen. They this this you need this you need this structure to get you through the thing. What does Rosebud mean? What does this complicated thing mean? It, that that's the genius part of it. Not necessarily that it's a sled. It's that he had a one last word, looking which at, I don't. I yeah, looking at the snow globe, and they can't figure it out. And can can one word sum up a last a man's life? Can and and I think what you're describing, you're sort of your reaction to it being rosebud is is uh, you know or wells and and mank 
anticipate because they okay. they talk about it. It's to some people it will be disappointing. To some people it will be it will be amazing. Um, I mean, obviously, As, no one they don't find out they burn it, and there you know there's that, but. As we do on this podcast, I would like to be prescriptive. I I would like to change oh. the ending of Citizen Kane. Jesus Christ! Okay, when the reporter another, says, can "I want to watch you eat another cupcake," so just can can when the reporter says, "Can a word sum up a man's life?" Rosebud could be anything. It, and then they all walk away. End the movie right there because that makes sense all of the different things we've seen rosebud could have to do with any single one of those but no rosebud has to do with this one minute thing that we got a little glimpse of over the course of this two-hour movie that is sort of irrelevant irrelevant so not I, necessarily I, relevant. i kind of disagree with you lee it's not right? irrelevant I, it's, it's not, not irrelevant. i do it's, not think it's, it's a, irrelevant i think okay, it's important I agree. it's not irrelevant it's but it's not it's not made important by what we saw on screen. It's not but, uh, presented I, as important by what we saw on screen. Okay, I agree with you there, but I think it's important. It's not made important. I think the and I think this is what I was trying to say with the whole movie. The message is there. The the it's on point there. So there's the message but the depth of feeling doesn't come along with it. So yeah. you everything you see in Citizen Kane works for the message it's sort of portraying in the moment, whether it's conversations with his wife, whether it's conversations with Leland, um, whether you're, you know, the moment he first gets the newspaper, like all that stuff, you get what the message is and and what the movie's trying to tell you. But the depth of feeling isn't behind it. And I think that, for me, is the hook that I was missing. Because I can appreciate every moment in Citizen Kane and what it's trying to say and how smart it is and how well it's put together for audiences to appreciate throughout time. And I, 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 I get all that, and I really do appreciate all that. But the depth of feeling behind every one of those moments isn't there. And it's kind of an impossible ask because you have a movie that spans such a long time and, and does things so well between moment and moment. How do you then put the depth at each moment? Like that would be a near impossible task. And I think that's the issue that Citizen Kane has. I just, and, and sort of go ahead, Chapin. Just think about, okay. I, I know. Think about the other movie we're talking about, Citizen or Casablanca, it's all told in this sort of stage way. The camera is like on one side; it's like watching a play. But I then, can't disagree with how it how Casablanca is filmed in comparison to Citizen Kane. On which one's better? I mean, Citizen Kane's far better, right? And you've got it's the last far shot. More filmic. You've got a la- the last shot of this film is this sea of shit that you've been hearing about him collecting, yeah, which over cool and shot, over yeah. and over again. And it finally ends on that sled that you remember from the first scene where you know everything changed for him. I mean, there's no better, like, there's, like, that is visual storytelling. There's no better example of that than that shot. If, (laughs) if throughout, if in the middle of all of that, we saw a character that was missing that. But I didn't. And look, I think what a little bit what Jeremy was saying, and this will lead us right into all the other stuff he was talking about that we want to geek out on. I'm not sure that Citizen Kane is equal to the sum of its parts. Okay. 
Let's let's so, do it. Those parts, so, though. Sometimes it's a great I parts. mean, I, the, you, you're right. You never have, you never, you know, something with Kane is missing. You know, there's something missing there. You know, you see uh, a fire in his eyes when he first takes over the 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 Inquirer. As Charles Foster Kane, who owns eighty-two thousand three hundred sixty-four shares of public transit preferred, you see, I do have a general idea of my holdings. I sympathize with you. Charles Foster Kane is a scoundrel. His paper should be run out of town. A committee should be formed to boycott him. You may, if you can form such a committee, put me down for a contribution of one thousand dollars. My time's on the other hand, I am the publisher of the Inquirer. As such, it's my duty, and I'll let you in on a little secret. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hard-working people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates just because they haven't anybody to look after their interests. I'll let you in on another little secret, Mr. Thatcher. I think I'm the man to do it, you see. I have money and property. If I don't look after the interests of the underprivileged, maybe somebody else will. Maybe somebody without any money or property. Yes, yes, and that yes. Would money be too and property. Bad. Well, I happened to see your financial statement today, Charles. Oh, did you? Now, tell me... Honestly, my boy, don't you think it's rather unwise to continue this philanthropic enterprise? This inquirer that's costing you a million dollars a year? You're right, Mr. Thatcher. I did lose a million dollars last year. I expect to lose a million dollars this year. I expect to lose a million dollars next year. You know, Mr. Thatcher, at the rate of a million dollars a year, I'll have to close this place in 60 years. Um, but as it progresses, and I'm trying to piece this together because I you know, watch it in 10 minute bursts, uh, as you guys know. <laughs> um, but you know, he, you, 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 the film doesn't, the film sort of just establishes that he is malcontent. It doesn't sort of explore that except within the fabric of the structure, which is that your takeaway from that is that he lives this empty life. And what he really wanted at the end of the day was some, something, in that first scene, that happiness you see him experiencing through that first scene. So I'll, I'll give you that. So let's move on. All right. Let's now, do you want to take it piece by piece here. I, let's nerd, talk, let's nerd talk about corner. the makeup yeah. first. Incredible. I love, I love with the exception it. of the, the very old cane, which is a little silly looking. It's an, it's sort of incredible how good the makeup yeah. is. Um, Okay. There, there were, no, there were po- moments I was like, is that like just an older actor or did they it's really, really incredible. put old makeup on? Because you see, there's a scene, there's a scene where you see how Orson Welles' is real age in this and he's quite young. Um, I don't remember how old he was when he made this he movie. He was like but, mid-20s. Yeah, quite young. Um, but the majority of this movie he's in 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 makeup at 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 varying ages throughout his life there's a very short period of this movie where he's his actual age so a lot of makeup work had to be done not just for him but all of the other characters as well and it's all ex- extraordinarily convincing agree all right, all right performances Next. i mean i think that i think there really only is one great amazing performance all the others are pretty standard for the time Agreed, but we're but that's even simplifying it because I think it's a, a generationally good performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's way ahead of its time. It's way better than everybody else in the movie. Like it's just, Marlon Brando before Marlon Brando, right? And but and there's a lot that you can go through every generation of actors. You know, Paul Muni, now Orson Welles, Marlon Brando, whatever. Like there's always the actor that 
that and and Chapin, you've talked about Anthony Perkins in Psycho that just is like on another level right. than everybody else. Like it's just there's there's a handful of actors throughout history of movies that. Uh, you know, it's not different. Tra- like, it's not different training because all the other people are like typically classically trained actors. Um, although there is the note at the end of this movie about how there's not a lot of uh, experienced actors in the movie. Well, they were stage actors. They weren't. They right. were part so of not, his like, like um, repertoire. Not, repertory, and maybe like his his radio shows yeah, and stuff exactly. like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's sort of incredible because obviously Orson Welles. Um, had done some uh, had done things before this movie although i don't know how much uh, how many credit acting credits he had before kane um oh a hand maybe four or five um actually it looks like only one feature too much johnson in 1938 too much johnson yeah problem problem we're all familiar with yes um which he also get your film fix which he also directed um (laughs) And stars Joseph Cotton. Um, <laughs> I love it. Anyway, I just what's think, wrong with like, this guy? He's got too much junk. <laughs> there's that. There's that line in um, Super Bad about peaking too early, like Orson Welles, and like you can talk about Citizen Kane and Orson Welles and a number of factors there, but like this performance is, you never saw him anywhere close to this good again. No, he. Uh, really? I don't think. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of his movies, but I've seen enough. Yeah, talk it's about such a, a such fall a from evil. grace. I mean, it's towards just, the end there. I think there's just a level of control and dedication here that just wasn't part of what movie making was like in Hollywood at this yeah, time. Yeah, I like that. That's a good point. Um, and he somehow had final cut. Um, yeah, there was, movies were were more collaborative. Like you look at Casablanca, and there was like two directors and multiple yeah. screenwriters and i think, and I think like, the, there was just the, that was just had to do with the the hollywood system it was just a machine yep. they were putting out movies and they needed to do it quickly so um this is uh, that was unusual for the time and again it sort of speaks to where films went um but yeah it's just it's just a it's a tremendous performance and i think how old was he when he made this like in his 20s right like 20s yeah he was in his 20s so uh 26 i think a lot has to do with the black and white as well hiding the makeup but it just it works so well it's just you, you yeah, 20, it's, 26 when it came out so 26 so when he first like grabs the newspaper that's right that's like when he was unaged or when he didn't have any makeup on right i would assume yep yeah. all right Chapin. so let's let's talk about the uh the innovative camera work here the angles, the ceilings. There's a lot of shots of ceilings that you never saw before. Yep, they, they, angles, they would cut out focus. the floor, which they don't do. Yeah, even now, like they, you know, you're still limited by your floor. You don't get to cut it out all, very often. But yeah, there's this great picture on the Wikipedia so- uh, page of Wells that, like, with the with the camera, you know, the massive camera dug out into the into the floor. Incredible. And I wonder. Yeah, they have a whole the- scene about that when the in the. Um, I don't even know what it's called. The Lee of Schreiber played Wells in a movie about making Citizen Kane once upon a time. And there's this whole, whole big scene about, uh, digging the floor out to get the shot he wants. 
in the end Xanadu, I'm assuming most of that is a set in like yeah, how amazing it's a, it's that was. It definitely is, but how but how good are those fades in that opening scene utilizing the reflections and yeah. getting closer and closer? Like it's just it's so cool. I mean the biggest thing for me, I mean the camera angles, the camera movement was really innovative. The the lighting in this movie, like the sharp lighting, the shadows. I'm care I wanted to ask you guys like the the thought process behind like so consistently having characters' faces in the shadows. So I you know, for example, that that shot when his second wife takes the poison or or the overdoses there's that shot of the glass so Mm -hmm. that's a that's a matte shot so that's basically what what they had to do back then was combine two shots together and they would literally have to like film one thing and they would put a black mat on the on the part of the screen they didn't want to expose and then they would expose the second part and then put the black mat on the piece of the film that they had already exposed. And they would literally run the film back through the camera. Incredible. And um, so that would allow you to have two things in focus at once. I think of that shadow as a way, a sort of metaphorical expression of that within the film, which is that you don't need to see these characters' faces. Like, they're just there for structure. I mean, I'm sure they're important to some extent, but they aren't the people of Kane's life. You know, the reporter is just a vessel. He's just a, he's just a, uh, somebody who's, he's just a function of the, of the structure and of the plot. And so you don't need to see those guys faces. You just need to hear their words and you don't need to be lost in any details. It's a really nice way of just like focusing us mm-hmm. on the people in this movie who we who we need to know and and there he uses it in other places like for example like kane will step into a shadow and and speak lines where you don't see his face um and i think that suggests something more sinister or maybe there's something more to what i was saying there as well where like you know maybe you don't need to see it you just need to hear him um but i think it's really smart because it's both atmospheric but it also like kind of lets you remember only you know you you can only you only have so many faces you can keep yeah, you're in your forced mind. to pay attention yeah. to something else yeah I, yeah i like that I, it makes me wonder like you say like you can only see so many faces and again it goes kind of back to the point i was making earlier about just how this movie has to get its message across and kind of move to the next thing but I wonder if they even took, like, one face, if they took one relationship. And I, I'm thinking specifically more of Leland and that sort of friendship relationship and really explored the demise of that rather than... Yeah. Can I ask you something? Why do you think that relationship... What is, what is the film saying? Why did that relationship fall Because it, I mean, it's about Kane. It's about how his arrogance, his, his total control, like is more important than each relationship he has. And it, you know, all of them are disposable to try to get to the next sort of phase. I believe. I, and, I remembered that relationship being more prevalent than it was. Yeah. Me too. Um, like instead of Leland sort of explaining the demise of it in that one scene of him, you know, writing the review, which is a great scene, but I, I would really let, like to see that, sort of deteriorate and that would be getting into the depth of the messaging do you you guys think this movie perhaps 
was too ambitious from that perspective, like tried to tell too much. Yes. I think that's what we're yeah. essentially saying. Yeah. The, mm. the biopic, the biopic problem, you know, just like I was saying, like, I, I, I don't know how you tell the story, this, this story, the, you know, the, the one that he's trying to tell here by narrowing in on one specific thing. Like my, my thing about biopics is that they're about real people that have had an interesting life and you can learn a lot from them by narrowing in like Steve Jobs. You narrow in on just these three product launches. You learn everything about Steve Jobs, about who he is through these very, you know, basically real time scenes before these product launches where a movie like J Edgar, a movie like walk the line Ray, where you just span their entire life and then you leave not really knowing any more about them than you did going in here. You're, you're dealing with, Yes, it's based on William Randolph Hearst, but ultimately a fictional character uh, that is in the movie is trying to portray it, uh, this character's rise from childhood to to power uh, and all the way to death. So how do you do that without spanning the whole life? Right. You can't narrow in on just one thing and say, oh, you got to know him. Well, we got to know who you made this character up. So it's a challenge. Right. But I think what me and. But maybe, like you're saying, Chapin, maybe that's just biting off more than you can chew. Because I think what me and Jarmer were missing is more. I mean, is this? Do you make this a longer movie? Do you do you make this movie linear, which then just tells the story, but you cut out the interviews? I don't interviews? think so. Like, I, I, I don't. I, think, I don't know the answer, but I think everything's done nearly perfectly. And I agree. In it, and everything's so innovative and smart, and the structure's great, and the performance is amazing. But there's just too much to get into the depth of it that you really are longing for as an audience member. And what, like, what do you say about that? Like, yes, you have made a near perfect movie. That is just you know everything is amazing. But I left I left wanting. And and that is that a, a fault of the movie? Is it a fault of Kane basically directing a uh, a perfect film? I don't know. Like where where is it? And uh, and I think that's I think that's sort of the answer to why we're having issues is is exactly that, Jabin. Bit off more than he can chew, Orson. Stick to War of the Worlds. Neck, I could chew just about anything <laughs> and he well he <laughs> kept chewing and chewing um all right so guys we got a release date for mank december 4th on netflix limited theaters if they're open uh late november um but i, I suspect we will all be watching it on december 4th and reviewing it shortly thereafter it is fincher's first return to the screen i was gonna say big, big screen, screen but yeah. the uh to movies since gone girl um, what do you guys think of the trailer? Looks okay. Yeah, I, I mean, agree. It's, it's obviously trying to, um, you know, funnel that Orson Welles, Citizen Kane. Yeah, feel. I think we all just we we saw that Social Network trailer in 2010, and just every trailer from Finch has been disappointing since. But I think every um, trailer's been disappointing since. Well, that's true too. Um, and then next week, guys, I think the plan is it comes out on Netflix Friday, The Trial of the Chicago 7, di- written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. I'm going to try to uh, rewatch Molly's Game also. Got to be honest, kinda, not excited. Not very excited for this. 
It was based, on your. It was only, on your. Uh, it wasn't. I don't think list. It it was. Oh, maybe it was on Jeremy's. Based only on the costuming, like I didn't know Sasha Baron Cohen was. It looks like a comedy. Looks like a joke. Borat. <laughs> it is interesting. That's a Borat guy. Hilarious. Um, well, I I've been I've been dubious of this movie because of Sorkin's inability to take his to translate his brilliance in writing and direct it. Um, with Molly's game. I'm going to rewatch that movie, hopefully, before we do the podcast. We don't have... Beggars can't be choosers, guys. This is what we're doing next. When's okay? Tenet coming out? <laughs> Remember that On movie, Netflix? Tenet? Ugh. Fuck. This. It's supposed to be... Oh. All right. Ugh. And with that, that'll wrap things up for this unbelievable edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I've been Lee Carlo, Chapin Hemingway, shaking his head. We'll find out why after we go off air. And Jeremy Fisk nodding because everything I've said is brilliant. <laughs> Email us at feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com if you agree with that. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.